When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. That's inexcusable. I don't care if rivalry or not. We can't do that. That's kind of the history of you know what's been going on here lately, hurting yourself. and That's just endangering the other team. That's inexcusable. He knows that. I hope he does now. It's just it's tough. The, the reality is he, he's going to get suspended. Uh, we don't know how long, and that hurts our team. We can't do that. We can't continue to hurt this team. Uh, that's, that's inexcusable. Okay, what a day for the National Football League. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf here on Purple Daily, and that is certainly the place that we have to start, Myron, with uh, Miles Garrett suspended indefinitely, but at the very least for the rest of the season, and if Cleveland somehow makes the playoffs, he will not be a part of it, which, Mm -hmm. of course, is going to be much more difficult now without him. Give me just your... First reaction to what happened last night and what the NFL decided to do here. I hate Twitter. Um, I guess that's my initial reaction. That is definitely a reaction because, after this. Because Twitter has created this culture where we think there are two sides to every doggone thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a lie. Like, homeboy hit a dude in the head with a helmet. I think it ends there. Like, if you do something that I watched in 1990s WCW wrestling, like Arn Anderson, <laughs> Ric Flair... Like 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 Mr. Wonderful Paul Orn- like if those guys could do that stuff and you take it to a game, I think that's probably something where you're gonna get suspended for the bulk of the season. But I just hated the idea that there were people who wanted to fall on their swords for Miles Garrett, who had just hit a dude in the head with a helmet. Like, why is that a conversation or a discussion? He suspended the rest of the season. That's the right call. Uh, and then let's see what kind of work he has to do to be reinstated next season. There's no guarantee that this doesn't carry over. I think that is one of the worst things I've ever seen on an NFL field, and for people to compare it to hard hits, even targeting, Mm -hmm. those are things that have all happened within the confines of the game. Right. Even if they're egregious and they're extreme, they've happened uh, within the game. This was pushing, shoving, that happens in football, and then a dude deciding that he was going to hit a guy in the head with a helmet that he ripped off. Uh, it's the right suspension. I just hate social media and this idea that there are two sides to everything. Even if we watch the dude hit another dude in the head with a helmet, somehow we have to have a conversation about that. I think the conversation is probably 
A, did the NFL do the right thing by suspending him as harshly as they did? Because like you said, they didn't even say it's just the rest of the season. And this could be a two-year ban. I mean, this yes. could be a lifetime ban. I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. Um, probably not the lifetime, but it might take him much longer to get back after doing something like this. But the other part of it would be how much is the NFL culpable for something like this going to the next level and how much is it just sort of an isolated incident because the NFL loves to hold itself up as look how safe we are but if you watch that game last night that was not a safe football game there's a dude bleeding out of his ear there's a dude ejected there's all sorts of injuries all over that field and then there's two teams who are taking it to another level throughout the game and then by the very end it ends up with someone doing something that is incredibly egregious and maybe the most violent thing I've seen on a football field ever Mm -hmm. done and uh, I, I wonder about the NFL in general if they have sort of skirted around the player safety thing with oh look we've thrown more flags now so that means everyone's safe and fine and but at the same time been like but look we're really violent we know yeah. you love that so it's all good i i don't know if they have a role in this or if it's just the miles garrett thing i think we're only talking about it because it's miles garrett and he's somewhat likable uh perfect it was pretty unanimous that get him out of the league right there've been a lot of characters in this league who've done really terrible things and we have, you know, the chorus is sung the same tune of, yeah, get him out of the league. He doesn't belong there. So I think Miles Garrett being a, a, a number one draft pick, uh, a, a guy who's a really talented player, being likable, I think all of that factors into what you just said. I'm a huge boxing fan, right? I mean, that is like a real fight. Like, you get paid to punch people in the face. If you hit someone after the bell, Everyone will respond the same way, like, whoa, that's crazy. And because it goes outside of what you've tried to structure, and I think the NFL is structured violence. We all know that. But that doesn't mean that we should treat an incident like this as as some sort of an extension uh, of what happens on the field. If that's the case, if we normalize this, then we've got to decide that going forward, a guy gets hit in the head with a helmet, and that's okay. And that's to, that's to me, the people who are defending Miles Garrett, that's what they're saying. Let's make this normal and make this seem like it's normal behavior. I think you have to separate a guy hitting another dude in the head with a helmet and that the fact that the NFL has problems with player safety and guys get hurt and there are targeting, there are bad hits. Like, that's one thing, but it's, it's policed. Mm-hmm. It is not what we saw with Miles Garrett. And that, to me, is the, is the difference there. Miles Garrett is to blame for this. Miles Garrett is the one who ripped the helmet off and then used it as a weapon. Why can't it just be on him? Why can't it just be on a guy who can't do that? And I really don't understand the attempts to talk about this as if Mason Rudolph brought it upon himself. I mean, he did not conduct himself well. And the offensive linemen should have pushed Mason Rudolph away from that situation. Yeah. But at the same time, there has been pushing and shoving going on after the whistle for the entirety of the history of football, and nobody ripped a helmet off and whacked somebody else in their head with it. And then that's where, you know, I think about the one fight I was in in high school. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the fight, somehow I had the other kid's glasses in my hand, and I had no recollection of how they got there. Like, you've had this happen, right? It's like... 
when did I do that? How did I do that? That's actually kind of cool that I did that, but I don't remember doing it. And I think there are definitely situations where you get in a fight and you do something and you're like, dude, I was just reacting. Uh, uh, It was crazy. But when you're in, in the NFL and you're sort of in a violent circumstance all the time where you're battling and you're hand fighting and you're tackling and everything else, I think there's a higher standard held for people who are in these high intensity and pressure situations to know how to conduct themselves even despite what the circumstance is. So I can't even give him a pass for, oh, he probably just reacted. Well, reacting is his entire job, though. Yeah, and there are people who are like, he didn't kill him. Imagine if the police walked around with that attitude. (laughs) He shot at him. He didn't shoot him. Like, Like, that's what people are saying in that scenario, and I cannot quite understand like where they're going with this. The most violent place in the world is the highway, right? If you want to talk about people putting themselves in vulnerable situations, the highway is the most dangerous place you can be. Now, all of us speed, right? All of us have gone 5, 10, maybe on a tough day, 12, 15 miles, and over, miles over, right? It can be hard the to speed do in this state, but I'll it go is along hard, with you. But people will do it, right? Now, you see somebody go 95, weaving in and out of traffic. All of us point to that and go, whoa, 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 dude. You're going to kill somebody out there, Mm -hmm. right? We all have that collective response, even though we can all admit that we've gone over the speed limit. You know, we've broken the rules. That's a dude where we're like, no, 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 that's way too far. I feel like that's what the Miles Garrett thing was. Yes, there's pushing and shoving. Yes, there's a guy, you know, yanking helmets. Like all that stuff happens and it's, it's policed by the NFL. Had it stopped there, maybe there's a fine. Maybe they eject two guys with eight seconds left. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to clear it up. But what Miles Garrett did went so far beyond what anybody has ever seen. That's why you had this collective reaction of like, dude, you can't do that, man. Mm-hmm. You could have seriously injured this guy. And my problem is, my concern is, Collar, if we don't have that reaction, then... We're going to convince other people that, okay, what's the line? Maybe the line's moved a little bit. You know, okay, and people are saying he shouldn't be punished severely. Maybe this is just the new normal in the NFL. And that, to me, is so dangerous. The league isn't worth one knucklehead doing a really, really terrible thing. It's not worth it. Get him out of the league, which he is right now. He has to be reinstated. Mm-hmm. Like He is out of the league. That's the right move. Don't defend anything he did. Because if you do, you are going to set a really dangerous precedent for what could happen going forward. And every player who's on the field now is educated enough to know about the violence and potential repercussions down the road of what they're facing by playing in the NFL. I'm not saying that I would do it. I'm not saying that if I ever have kids, I would say, hey, run out there at age five and do the Oklahoma drill a little bit. Uh, I don't think that's a very smart thing. But everybody knows when they play wide receiver, there's a potential that someone could take their head off and that that could hurt them long term, and they don't have to do it. You could just not play in the league. And I have seen guys, I've covered players who just said, no, this ain't for me. Mm-hmm. I can play in college, and that's okay, but in the NFL, it's too violent, yeah. and, I, and I'm just I'm just done. Rodney Adams for the Vikings basically just said, I, I'm, I'm not doing this. That's it. And he just retired. And that's fine, and, and you should do that if you don't want to be a part of it. But all these guys on the field know the potential for injury that they're facing when they step out there. 
they do not have a reasonable expectation that someone will hit them in the head with a helmet. No. Like that's that's no. that's how I look at it. Is that's where you clear the line. Even if you're Mason Rudolph and you're grabbing at, at Miles Garrett, and you're going after him and you're fired up and you've thrown four interceptions and you're ticked off and you got your offensive lineman near you, so you're yeah. feeling pretty tough. Pushing, shoving, punches thrown, all those things are sort of within the context of what you signed up for in a fizzle and dangerous game. But when you add this to it, it reminds me a lot of Juan Marshall hitting the guy with the bat. Yeah. Like where it clears this line of, okay, if you're going to start swinging the bat at people, yeah. then this is where you need to be severely punished. And the NFL acting quickly, rarely do they do the right thing ever with anything but here we are i think with the nfl reacting quickly and doing the right thing by suspending him uh long term so i guess where i come away with this though with the biggest question that i don't know how to answer we all agree miles garrett went too far yeah we all agree he should be suspended and they nailed it they got it right and even we probably agree that baker mayfield handled it well which he usually doesn't handle everything well but the idea of legal charges for stuff that happens in football games, even when it does cross our line for football games, that's where I get a little hesitant. And when people uh, in hockey hit each other with sticks, I mean, that's where I don't really know how to handle it, Myron. I, I, I don't know if that's the right thing. I, I think you still can't really go there, that you can't really make a criminal out of Miles Garrett because he crossed the line that we all accept within a very, very violent circumstance. Yeah, I, I think there's a layer within the layer. I mean, I think, you know, he crossed the line of NFL decorum and NFL rules, but I, I don't know that it goes to a court system. I think that is reserved for interactions with people who have nothing to do with the game. Mm-hmm. Fans, yeah. uh, you know, personnel, staffers. That that's reserved for that, and I think you know that's another president where you go if that were to happen, what happens from there? You know, if if you hit a quarterback and he snaps his leg and he feels like it was an egregious hit, does that become a, a situation? So I think the legal the legal stuff, I don't I wouldn't take that route. However, I will say this: if he hits. Mason with the crown of the helmet instead of the back of the helmet, which lucky for Mason, he doesn't hit him with the crown of the helmet. Yeah. And Mason Rudolph is gushing blood on national TV uh, and he has some sort of injury. Remember, Mason Rudolph a couple weeks ago was sprawled out on an NFL field, knocked out. If that were the image, gushing blood, Mason Rudolph, wobbly, uh, having some sort of head injury, Mm -hmm. then you know what? It would go to that level. At the end of the day, I think there's a reason, though, that we don't have these conversations every week about the NFL. This is the first time that I can remember having a conversation about, okay, is this something that goes beyond even the NFL? And you know why we're having that conversation? Because a dude hit another dude with a (laughs) helmet. That's why we're having the conversation. Yes, Let's treat this for what it is. It is one incident, one terrible incident. And the NFL, I think, did the right thing. I don't think legal stuff should be involved, but Mason Rudolph's agent said it could. And if it does, too bad for Miles Garrett because you did it. Right. And at the end of the day, we are not here because Mason Rudolph was wrestling with 270-pound Miles Garrett. We're here because Miles Garrett hit Mason Rudolph in the head with the helmet. Mm-hmm. What happens from here? If Miles doesn't get back in the league, if Miles has legal ramifications, if Miles' reputation is tarnished for the rest of his career, 
that's what comes with this stuff. And it should. Kyle, we watch this. Right. My question for you is this, though. What if we don't see it? What if this happens in the tunnel? What if this happens in the hallway? What if this happens and a camera just fails to catch it? Hmm. What's the response then? It's completely different then, right? Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah I would say so. Um, I mean, that just speaks to almost anything, right? Yes. Like Ray Rice, if we didn't see it, he probably plays three or four more years in the NFL. But since there was a video yeah. that uh, TMZ was able to get their hands on, then that became much more uh, egregious yeah. when people could actually see it and share it. That's another part of it, too, is is how social media works. The minute it happens, there's 50 people on my timeline tweeting the same video over and over and over again. And uh, with Miles Garrett, he deserves all the backlash that he's getting. But these things... Um, Alex Boone and I even talked about this with Colin Kaepernick. Like these things have a different type of power to them now with the social media effect, where it seems just like this uh, fervor gets created mm-hmm. and it becomes a monster that you can't kind of contain when, when there's something that is transcending sports. Uh, where now you're going to have the local news people from Cleveland mm-hmm. there. You're going to have, uh, you know, the the nightly news person. I don't know who does the nightly yeah. news anymore, but like a, your Tom Brokaw yeah. or whatever. Nah. We're talking about what happened to it. National media all of a sudden. And it it's something that has started to happen over the last few years because now almost everyone is on some form of social media where it just is an explosion of of takes and outrage and things like that, which a a lot of it justified in in Mm -hmm. this case. Uh, But it's I, I don't really know what to do with it, but I think it has changed our entire landscape of how we consume and think about sports, because like you said, if this was. 1992, and I read in the newspaper that somebody hit somebody with a helmet. I'd be like, well, did he die? Yeah. No, yeah. he didn't. Well, I don't really care about oh, this. Yeah. Or that guy was crazy. Right. Oh, can yeah. you believe he did that? Of course right. he did that. Yeah. That would be the response. And then we would see a press conference of him being very sad, and then it would kind of go away, I think. Yeah. That's I, how things used to be handled. But now it's going to be like nonstop for a very long time that we talk about this. And I think the image matters, uh, man, because you've got a guy in Roger Goodell. I think Roger Goodell, in his mind, he wants his legacy to be three things. Uh, player safety, whether he solves it or not. I, I think there's clearly an investment there. And he doesn't want to be known as the guy who didn't care about CTE and concussions and all these things that are happening to players. I think number two is uh, maintaining, improving, boosting the revenue stream in a world that's clearly changing where it's getting harder and harder to get people to show up to the stadiums. Uh, it's getting harder to get people to leave their 4K TVs and, mm-hmm. and to watch games. Uh, you're competing with so many things, so he wants to be that guy, and he's done a great job of that. And number three, he wants to be the guy that legitimately globalized the game. They're not going to London for no reason. Right. They are going to London and Mexico City, and who knows? Maybe one day we're talking about a game in China. This guy is going around the world because they want the NFL to have a presence in other parts of the world. And you know what the worst thing is? Is those people who don't really know football, who don't really have an appetite for football, are just scrolling around on French TV or <laughs> English TV or Mexican TV, and they turn something on and they go, did you see that guy hit another guy in the head with a helmet? And that becomes their image of the NFL. Right. And you know why I know that? Because I'm not a soccer fan, but I've seen a bunch of soccer fights in England. And I thought that these guys just at some point – 
Somebody ran out of the stands and a brawl started and they beat up referees because I didn't watch the sport. That was my image of soccer. This is how I view NASCAR. Right. Like at the end of the race, they fight. It's amazing. That's what you assume. (laughs) And for a guy in Roger Goodell, I know why he acted that swiftly. Yes, it was the safety issue. Yes, it was extreme. Yes, it was social media. But this is also a guy who is going to different parts of the world that have not been exposed to football and saying, you can trust our product. They show him that video. And he's got some things he has to answer to. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is probably what expedited this thing. They're trying to sell the game around the world. And with images like that, it makes it a lot more difficult. The uh, Vikings made a roster move, and I'll tell you about it in a second. But just to put a bow on this, Marquise Pouncey, three games. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, the kick to the head, I thought he was going to get a couple of games. Now, granted, I think he was trying to protect Mason Rudolph after the helmet. So yeah. I, I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. And then he kicked him in the head, but I don't, you know, three makes three makes sense. I guess one would have even been okay with me because he's coming in after he sees the helmet hit and he's going, whoa, 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 what just happened? You know, uh, but it's just bad all around, man. But Miles Garrett started the whole thing. I, I, I just could not believe that this happened last night in a game that was over. They I mean, it winning. was not. It was a hideous football game. The Browns have won the game. They should feel great. They beat a team that's kicked their ass for like, oh, I don't know, since they've existed again. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. and, and they should feel great about it. Like their season was looking, not that it's a complete turnaround, but having the feeling of, well, maybe we're on an upswing here and they have an easy schedule. They could finish strong, win some games. And then Miles Garrett essentially blows it up with eight seconds left in the game. I thought the thing was over. I went to get a snack. I wasn't in front of the TV. And then I come back and I see all hell breaking loose. Uh, the Vikings activated Josh Doxson off of injured reserve because okay. Adam Thielen is out. And we have totally forgotten about Josh Doxson's existence. But when Josh Doxson signed, I mean, put this one under the like funny that you wrote it then and then it didn't turn out so far. Same with um, Michael Floyd. When they signed Michael yeah. Floyd, we're all like, this is what he could bring yeah. to the offense. And then he just like never played and caught 10 <laughs> passes. But Josh Doxson is an interesting case, Myron, because he is in Washington for a couple of years there and makes some plays. Yeah, he does. Makes some highlight reel plays. The catch in Seattle is amazing. He shows some capability, but Washington decides to just cut bait with him after... Uh, three years, but really only two years playing. I was really surprised by that, and I feel like it is in the realm of possibility he could become somewhat of a weapon for them. Yeah, but we've been there before with other guys like him, to your point. So um, I feel like the opportunity's there, clearly. But I think this is also a team that, you know, they don't... The good thing is he doesn't come in and you're going, they need him to be... Yeah. You know, they've been in that situation many, many times and are not in that situation going into Sunday's game against Denver. He is a different case, though, from someone like Michael Floyd. With Michael Floyd, it was kind of over when they got him. Like the guy had had his issues. And, yeah, that was the bigger thing, though, the issues, right? Yeah, and he had fallen apart, too, as a player. Like when he first came into the league, Michael Floyd was explosive. Yeah, he was. And was one of the best deep threats in the entire league, but then he just didn't have the same sort of speed. Still had decent hands, made a handful of catches, but that was about it. With Josh Doxson, he's still pretty young in his career. He's 26 and 347 days, so he's about to be 27. So he's not like this young project, but he averaged over 14 yards a catch the last time he played with Kirk Cousins and was a legitimate deep threat. I think Washington probably made a mistake by just getting rid of a reasonable 
wide receiver without you know trading him or something like that. Maybe they didn't have any offers. But this is somebody who has had like mild success before. It is not Laquan Treadwell who had literally no success yeah. before. This is like his best yeah. year right now, and he's made three or four catches. <laughs> yeah. Doxson had some success, so I, I'm not saying that he's going to turn into whatever the next Adam Thielen here. But if he catches a couple of deep balls or even adds that slight threat because they've heard of him before, as opposed yeah. to BC Johnson, and that helps Stephon Diggs this week, then it's a win for them. They signed him for nothing, and it helps their plan. One of the worst pass defenses in in the league in Denver. I mean, that helps as well. Opportunities should be there. He should be able to go down the field, I think. Uh, but the last couple of weeks, they've had to go short, and now to add an extra receiving threat, I, I think is is helpful for them, at very least. But I'll be interested to see how it turns out, because the Vikings have done so well with their number of weapons and getting everybody the ball, and Irv Smith has developed into a player that they can trust, which I didn't necessarily expect no. for a rookie tight end, and uh, B.C. Johnson as well has become a reliable receiver. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, I want to ask you about a couple things that I've been running by different people and gotten many different answers to. One is a fun scenario. The other is trap games, and you've covered a lot of sports in your life, Myron. Yeah. And is I, that who I am now? And I want you are that dude. I'm sorry. You shook, my, you shook my hands and were like, oh, are you, young man? How are you? I'm like 65. Yeah. I need a Cadillac. It's like three years difference in our age. <laughs> so old. So sad. <laughs> All right, let's come back uh, and we'll we'll talk about trap games and whether this uh, belongs underneath that category. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download brought to you by AutoZone. Download the Score North mobile app and make sure you register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the mobile app. All you need to do, download that app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards, and you enter for your chance to win a $200 Visa gift card. Vikings fans, we're edging ever closer to this weekend's game against the Broncos at U.S. Bank Stadium. Vikings are 10-point favorites. Let us know over at Score North who you think will win this weekend's game, and what the score will be over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. Are you in search of a car battery that won't let you down? Even in the lowest temperatures, AutoZone has you covered. They have the proven tough Duralast batteries you need to plow through winter. They're tested in the most extreme of conditions, so you can count on them to deliver when you need it most. Just visit AutoZone.com to learn more. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan, Matthew Collar, Myron Metcalf. And before we get to the fun scenario that we uh, talked about a little bit yesterday with uh, Boone and Judd, um, I want to ask you about a tweet that you sent on the Internet, Myron, uh-huh. in which you said you still do not trust the Minnesota Vikings after their win against the Dallas Cowboys. The narrative on the Vikings completely changed in that game. It went from, you lost to Matt Moore, you lost to Chase Daniels, like maybe you're just a middling team that is going to barely make the wild card, or maybe not, to all of a sudden, you're an NFC powerhouse, and you're right in the same ballpark as everybody else. Is that why you don't 
trust them necessarily? Um, well, I mean, part of it's history, right? I mean, part of it's you you have to see them overcome the hurdles that have have played them in the past. But I think what really changed the narrative was one drive, was one stop, right? It was Ezekiel Elliott being, in, you know, what, third and two and just not being able to get the ball, running the ball to him twice and he couldn't move it. Um, so I think that's what made a lot of people go, wow. They stopped Dallas on the road in that situation. I thought there was an opportunity in the second quarter when Kirk Cousins overthrows Kyle Rudolph. Um, that was a chance to go up, you know, 21-0, possibly. And I still feel like great teams step on your neck. Yeah. I feel that way about teams in that situation. They just they just ruin you, you know, and, and they take your heart. And I don't think Minnesota is there yet. And I thought that was really a good win on the road. You got to win games like that to advance in the playoffs. They're probably a team that will end up having to travel at some point if they do get into the playoffs and advance. But for me, it's taking over and being really dominant in those opportunities, which I thought they had a few last weekend. They didn't. Uh, and then it's doing this consistently. You know, it's, it's, I think Kirk Cousins is a great quarterback when he's in a rhythm. And I think that's what you saw in Dallas. Uh, Dalvin Cook obviously is so good. Man, he's good. And that helps. But when they're in a rhythm, they're a really hard team to stop uh, because you just don't know where they're going to attack you. But there have been other moments where we go, well, why haven't we seen that for two games, three games? Sure. So to me, if if they destroy Denver, which they should, um, and, and put together three games for me where I'm like, okay, they they've they've hit their stride at the right time, I'll be in that boat. But I still felt like Dallas, it was a great win. Kudos to the team. Uh, defense was amazing. Dalvin Cook was amazing. But you step on their neck when you're up 14-0 in the second quarter and you got the ball and a chance to go up three touchdowns. Um, that's what great teams do. And they haven't really done that. They have kept several teams in games that they've ultimately won, but it got a little more hairy than it needed to. Mm-hmm. And Philadelphia is a good example of that, that at the end of the game, it's fourth quarter, and the Eagles still have a chance, and the defense ultimately comes through and slows them down, and they win the game. But you're like, that was a little closer than maybe it should have been because we were kicking your ass, and nobody was guarding Stephon Diggs. Yeah. And the same thing with Detroit, where Detroit, toward the end of that game, has a chance to tie the game, and, and they don't come through. But when you're maybe getting a little bit too close to the fire in those games, you worry about their uh, ability to finish when you have to face New Orleans or do it again at Dallas, which I think wouldn't be the easiest thing. But when you said when you said that drive that sort of changed the narrative, I thought you meant the one where they ran 10 times in a row. Because for me, when you can show a good defense, or at least middle of the league or a little above in Dallas, that you can dominate them and you mm-hmm. can just plow through them for 10 straight runs. And then you can also throw the football down the field. You can also throw screens. You could do so many different things. And we knew they could run the ball before. But to completely plow through someone, that's something we just don't see very often in the entire NFL. Yeah. And it took me back to when Pat Shermer called eight out of nine run plays in Atlanta in a game that just sort of took the Falcons' will in the same way. That's not something you can really say for that many teams that they have that aspect of their football team. Very true. Um, and just the way Dalvin Cook played, the way they moved the ball, it was, okay, they can do this against most teams in this league probably. Uh, when they're firing, they're just really difficult to stop. I thought, though, Zeke getting 20 carries, being held to, I think, 2.3 
yards per carry. Um, and then the fact that I believe they only had eight in the box twice. Uh, I think 10 times they had six in the box. So this was a team that defensively, without stacking the box, held the richest running back in NFL history to one of the worst games he's ever had. The worst game he's ever had with 20 or more carries. That, to me, was the statement. Because, in my opinion, Collar, in the NFL, you're going to have to go through an incredible offense to win this thing, right? I mean, New Orleans, we know what they're capable of doing. Uh, You know, Seattle showed everybody if they didn't already know when they played maybe the best defense in the league in San Fran and and won there. Yep. Uh, You have a team like Green Bay. Obviously, Minnesota's in that mix. On the other side in the AFC, you're going to have to go through Deshaun Watson and the Texans, New England, uh, some of these other, Baltimore, Lamar Jackson. You're going to have to deal with these dynamic offenses. It's going to come down to me, uh, other than maybe playing the Patriots on the road, a bunch of close games and and who can get that one stop. I think that, to me, is what it's going to come down to. And for you on the road to have Dallas driving the ball and they're handing it off to the guy who's supposed to be the best guy in the league and they cannot move the ball. And they've got Travis Frederick yelling at his sideline saying, what are we doing, (laughs) right? That is how you break a team. I don't think you break teams with offense. I think you break teams with defense. When you're in that situation and they can't score, they can't do anything. So that to me was a statement where you said, okay, we knew that this was a great offensive team, potentially, but what they did defensively, that to me was what really woke up the league and said, okay, if they do that, they can play with anybody in the NFL. So that's interesting that you bring up the defense making the statement there because I walked away from that game saying, what was Jason Garrett doing? I'm with Travis yeah. Frederick, and this defense just gave up almost 400 yards passing. But when they were needed at the biggest times, they came through. And I think this is the reality of the Minnesota Vikings defense now is they're going to have to be a bend, don't break defense because it's just not the same as it used to be. You can't lock down Xavier Rhodes on an island and shut down the team's best receiver and then put double coverage over everybody else. That just doesn't work anymore with Xavier Rhodes being uh, just in the health and age and so forth that he is, he could still play, but not at the type of level that he used to. So they've had to adapt the defense to the point where I think you notice this. Every game you see the opposing team against the Vikings, 10 play drive, 12 play drive, 13 play drive for a field goal. And and that doesn't mean they've never scored touchdowns because obviously Dak was able to do that. Um, But I look at the Patriots some years where they were at their – Worse defensively in terms of yards, where you went, my gosh, how is a Bill Belichick defense 27th in yards? Then you look at points, and they're fifth. Yep. Like, wait a minute. Because I think Zimmer has decided the only way we're going to win here is if we give up an, a little bit of yards here there, we force you to work 10, 12 plays down the field. So you're not going to score 40 points against us. You could take those hitch routes, but you're going to have to hit five, six, seven of them. And then when we get you inside the 20 and things lock down, that's where Harrison Smith is great. That's where the edge rushers are great. That's where the linebackers are great. And then we can slow you down. And Xavier Rhodes doesn't have to chase you in a lot of space. Yeah. He could just be good in the small space of the red zone. That is, I think, the adaptation that the Vikings have to make. It's not a complete overhaul at the bye week. It's just the the adaptation is the one they've already made to give up some yards, but not to give up the big plays. Did you watch uh, Chiefs-Titans? 
Sunday? Uh, I did not see that one, but I, I saw my, what happened. I think, I think Mahomes threw. Did he hit four hundred? It, it was yards? somewhere in that ballpark. Um, I saw the uh, the jump throw. So I watched that game and I paid attention to that game largely because uh, Andy Reid had that weird one in seven record against Tennessee. It's his worst record. That is weird. Uh, against any team in the NFL. But if you watch that game, you go, Kansas City's a better team. You know, Kansas City's a better yeah. team. But Tennessee, takeaways, defense when it mattered. My point about the defense making a statement for Minnesota in the Dallas game is you can't stop these offenses. You're, you're not going to yeah. bottle up Lamar Jackson. Right. You're, you're not going to bottle up the Patriots when they've got a bye week in two weeks to plan for who's coming uh, you know, to play them. You're not going to stop Drew Brees, who's been running the same offense for years. Jared Goff gets hot, you're going to be in trouble. So I think that, to me, is why I look at things and go offensively. There are, I think, 9, 10, 11, 12 teams that could be really, really good offensively, and Minnesota's in that mix. There's obviously at the top New England, mm-hmm. uh, San Fran, still a great defense despite what happened against Seattle. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to stops and making plays. You know, like you go back to what Seattle did against the 49ers and Monday Night Football, Jadavian Clowney, you know, the pick six. Like those are the kinds of things you're going to have to do in those critical moments, and no one's going to care about your efficiency. Right. And if you've given up 350 yards versus 450, they're going to say, okay, offense has gone back and forth. This has been a firefight. Are you going to get a stop? Are you going to get a takeaway? Are you going to do something on defense to change the game? And that moment right there for the Minnesota Vikings with Ezekiel Elliott doing what he's supposed to be able to do is one of the premier running backs in the NFL. That should be easy. You got that offensive line. Mm-hmm. You're driving down the field and you can't get a couple of yards and you're Ezekiel Elliott. That to me is the statement. You may get into the red zone against us. You may have a critical opportunity in the final minutes of the game, but we're not going to break on defense. That was the statement to me for the Minnesota Vikings. Offensively, they're, they're one of the good ones. But there are a bunch of good ones yeah. that can put up 400 yards, you know, 35 points on any given Sunday. That's not the separator for me, in my opinion. It's what we witnessed in the final minutes against Dallas from the Minnesota Vikings defense. Uh, now let me throw this scenario at you because okay. this perfectly plays into it. I think I like your, the transition. Your, I like to set you up like yeah, that, you know? yeah. Your your takeaway though is different from a lot of people's. I think, uh, and even I'm different from a lot of people, and, and even mine. Yeah, you are. Um, the it's the age difference. I wear too. two sweatshirts yeah. instead of a coat. You, I'm just a different dude, man. You look like you're um you're pretty toasty. I'm always about comfortable. This studio also man. gets really it does. hot. That's like being comfortable. Yeah. That's all. Um, well, so you're talking about trusting the defense. And uh, after that game, when you give up that many yards to Dak Prescott and he throws the ball all over you, I look at I do look at it similarly to you in that that's a playoff game. Like in a playoff mm-hmm. game, if you expect to give up three points or something, like good luck. I yeah. mean, okay, I guess the Patriots did do it in the Super Bowl, but usually you don't. Yeah. And Mahomes scored a bunch of points on them, and guess what? Their quarterback was better, and he ends up winning the game. And that's what usually happens at the playoffs is to get there, you need great performances on offense because your defense will have those moments, and then they need to step up when it's important. So here's the situation. You can either choose between having Kirk Cousins and the offense out there at their own 25-yard line, down by four points, two minutes, no timeouts. Or you can have the same situation, only it's your defense on the field, and the other team's offense has the ball 
first and 10, they're 25, down by four points, no timeouts. Are you trusting the offense more, or are you trusting the defense more in that situation? I'm going to trust the offense, but I don't think it's a question of do you trust Kirk Cousins. I trust the weapons. I trust the full package. I trust Irv and Kyle Rudolph and Dalvin and Stefan and Thielen once he gets healthy. I, I just trust that you have, if we're just talking about tight ends, wide receivers, and running backs, who can match that in the NFL compared to what the Minnesota Vikings Not have? too many teams. Is there one? You know? Probably not. You know? I mean, with, with Delvin's presence, the way he's playing yeah. now, the answer is probably not. So I'm going to trust those weapons in that situation. Um, just because, to your point earlier, the great teams, the great offensive minds, it's hard to stop them. I mean, it's so difficult in the NFL mm-hmm. to have a great defense. It's yeah. so difficult to slow these guys down. And I would always give my offense that, if there was a good offense, give them that opportunity. But I think you have to be able to trust both sides in those scenarios, especially in the in the playoffs. You've got to be able to trust that you have a defense that can get a stop if that is the situation, which is why I thought that was so meaningful at Dallas because that did feel like week one of the playoffs. That did feel like a wild card game. That felt like, mm-hmm. hey, yep. winner advances, and you go out and you get a big stop. More importantly to me, and that entire scheme, that entire game, was how easily Mike Zimmer and his staff – Outcoached Jason Garrett and his staff. So you had the superior coach, and, and there aren't going to be many situations where I think you're looking on the other sideline and they have a superior staff. And I think that's a, a good thing for the Minnesota Vikings as well. But I, I would take the offense because of the weapons, man, just because I, I think they, they might have the best combination of skill guys in the entire NFL. So I agree with you. But there's a but coming. But... The, the one area where I think people, and I think this argument would be understandable, still are reserved about Kirk Cousins is in that situation, is the very specific situation that he's struggled in for his career. Yeah, good point. Right? I mean, he's the guy, and I don't put a ton into fourth quarter winning drives and, and stats like that that can vary wildly from year to year, but he doesn't have that many of them. And his statistics when he's down by one score in the second half of games are not great. And and the Vikings haven't really allowed him to be there this year so far because they've just had a really good team and have been ahead in a lot of games. But in those situations for his career, that's where he struggled. That's where he gets strip-sacked in Los Angeles when you're down by one score needing a drive. That's why... Uh, you know, in Chicago last year, you're down by one score and needing a drive and he throws a pick six that he has this element to him where even if you're just watching on TV, you can look and go, oh, and your point about the where he almost threw an interception over Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, I mean, a few feet difference. And that might be a pick six right there. You're up by 14. The one thing you can't do, he might do it. And they almost took the car keys out of his hands last week by with all the screens and things like that. Like, yeah. we know that Nervous Kirk could show up here, so let's run about a lot of screens. And I'm sure they would give you 700 reasons why. Well, that was schematically correct because they <laughs> we know why you did it, right? And it was the right move, and that's really good from your offensive coordinator. But if it's first down and 10 at the 25 with two minutes to go and you're down by one touchdown, you don't get to do that. You don't get to throw screens to Delvin Cook because you're just not going to get there. 
I mean, you could you could throw it to Delvin, but yeah. I mean, if that's your whole strategy, he's going to have to make a throw. He's going to have to make a play. He's going to have to get outside of the pocket and and find somebody while he's extending a play because people aren't open in those situations the same way they are when you run a play action and nobody guards Stephon Diggs yeah. thirty yards down the field. That's where Kirk has struggled in his career. And that's where he's going to have to excel in order to win a playoff game or several playoff games to get you where you want to go. The team has the talent. I think that's the question that is not answered yet. Can he use it? Yeah, I mean, I think all that's valid. Um, what you just said, I could see, though, defensively, giving up a big play. And that's an area you just described, and sure. that, the game's over. You know, like, so I, I don't think that is outside the realm of possibility. You mentioned something about taking the car keys away from him. Is that a bad thing? It is in probably the scenario that I laid out. It is It is not for the way they've handled this year. Yeah. But I think if you go through historically, quarterbacks who they have to take the keys away from, I'll just give you an example, Alex Smith, what usually happens to them when they go up against Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger, the more dynamic quarterbacks, yeah. is they come out on the wrong end of those more times than not. And And my theory to what you just said is, who comes out on top against Tom Brady and Drew Brees, right? So, oh, right. so like they're, they're like those. If you get to that stage, you're in the NFC Championship game, right? And you're playing a team that most people are going to end up losing in that situation. For me, this is still a team where you go get into the playoffs, roll the dice, and let's see what happens. And I do think the mindset going into Sunday's game and how they played and it was it wasn't just Dalvin Cook's success with the screens and how he maneuvered through that solid Dallas defense. It was the fact that they knew they couldn't key on one thing, that they yep. had to be ready yep. for the play action, big play. Like that to me is how you throw teams off, is to play this sort of surprise football. And I think that's what Minnesota did against Dallas. And so that sounds that like a Sega forward. game. It does. Like, it does. Surprise football. Surprise football. That'd be like one of those games my mom got me. My mom got me for Christmas. It was like the generic version it have of the, the game players. I really wanted. You they know, didn't get the license. Yeah, number uh, number thirteen. You know, Steve Montana. Steven. Yeah, Steven Dugs. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. But I think you know this is a team that it, it was a uh, it was interesting to see a Dallas team at home get rattled that way mm-hmm. and. Taking the keys completely, you don't want to do that. But if that means making this a team that's about your offensive weapons more than your quarterback, I think that's smart. Because that is, to me, the thing that really hasn't been discussed around Kirk Cousins is, what if he's just a really good game manager when you put him in a situation where he uses his weapons Mm -hmm. to the best of his ability and they win games? Cool. And no edge rusher wrecks everything or interior rusher, right? Yes. Which is always kind of the asterisk that gets put over it. Uh, okay, so before we get to whether you believe in trap games, just if you're going to play... I believe in, in trap music. If you're gonna some play of the best in music the, out there. Yeah, that's good. Uh, if you play in the playoffs, um, do I, I have the hip-hop credibility to be like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But trap, trap music is not really my thing, but anyway. Um, it's interesting if you're, that people have made a, uh, an industry out of... It is, yes. you know. Yeah. Anyway, different yeah, discussion. It is. Um, we need Judd in here to really give the we true do. commentary on hip hop. trap music. But uh, if you're in the playoffs and you're in that situation, you're in a close game, 
your quarterback is Kirk Cousins, and the potential quarterbacks that you might be going against in the playoffs this year are Dak Prescott, yeah. Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Jimmy Garoppolo, Russell Wilson. Are you better than any of those guys? No. Not guaranteed. Hard road. Hard road. Not if guaranteed. Not, if you go into the playoffs with the sixth out of sixth ranked quarterback, who's very, very good, but if you're six out of six, hard road. That's Definitely. that's kind of where I would look at that. Um, what do you think? Trap games real? They're playing Denver. Denver's three and six. Uh, they're coming off the big win. The old newspaper man would say, "Well, they're reading their clips this week." Yeah, I don't know. Denver's Getting high on bad. themselves. They've got a pretty bad passing attack, right? They haven't been very good. They've only sacked the opposing quarterback nineteen times. Yeah. They're they're not terrible in other areas. They're good in other areas, but only nineteen sacks, the seventh worst in the league. That's. This Probably their biggest shortcoming. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> trap game, not for a team that just lost to the Patrick Mahomes-less mm. Chiefs, you know? I mean, this is a team that I thought they responded well uh, to Dallas. I thought that was the, the real moment where you said, okay, they know they just lost this game. That Imagine if you get that, you know? that That's a game you should have had. You don't get it. You come back tough and play on the road again. And beat Dallas, so I don't think they're coming into this game against Denver going anything's guaranteed. And I think I will say that I don't feel like this team has been in that mindset under Kirk Cousins. I don't know that they've come into any game and gone. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, we're we're going to run through because they know how bad they can be. the The worst Minnesota Vikings team is a team that can lose to anybody. The Buffalo game is the one people yes. point to where it just nobody showed up that day. Yeah. Um, but if you only have one the entire time, I, I don't necessarily believe in trap games. I think that these guys all prepare and they know how important it is. They're in a playoff race, yeah. and they know they've got to beat Denver. This weekend, is there a particular game that your eyes will be focused on aside from the Minnesota Vikings and Denver Broncos, which you might not have to watch a ton of if Brandon Allen gets scared of U.S. Bank Stadium. I mean, Lamar Jackson versus Deshaun Watson is the obvious answer here. Yeah, I want to see... Uh... People hate Lamar, man. I don't really understand, like, what the... Like, I have so many conversations with people who are like, but yeah, can he do this five years from now? And I'm like, <laughs> is anybody going to do this five years from now? This is the NFL, where the average career is like two and a half years. You know, sometimes I think that people <laughs> are told things when they're young. Like, yes. this doesn't work. You can't have the running quarterback, okay? It only works so much, and it didn't work with Randall Cunningham, even though he won a ton of games. Yeah. Uh, Randall Cunningham never won a Super Bowl. You know, things like that. And it sticks with people. You can't be that running quarterback. You got to be a pocket quarterback, even though like Steve Young didn't exactly stick around no. in the pocket all the time. But that that's where I think a lot of it comes from is people get predispositions when they are very young from just what people told them and then never change them about sports. And the Lamar Jackson thing is probably one. Like you were told that that is not a quarterback who can yeah. win. And Vic didn't win anything, even though Lamar is um, a much better, I think he's a much better thrower. He's a better everything. Yeah. You know, he's he's what I think Michael Vick aspired to be in, in many ways. If, you know, if, Maybe if Michael Vick had dedicated himself the same way Lamar does, yeah. then you would have ended up with that. Now, I have two weeks in a row picked out a big upset, Myron, which may mean that I am a gypsy. You might be a I genius. I might be. But now I'm looking at this trying to figure out what that would be for this week. Well, Saints-Buccaneers is a game that is on my radar just because... Hmm. Um, Bad Jameis Winston is like the worst quarterback you've ever seen. He'll yes. throw five interceptions. But like once every four games, good Jameis is like a dude who will throw like 450, yeah. four touchdowns. I mean, he just 
he just catches the spirit, you know, every couple of weeks, man. You're like, dude, and and the Saints, you talk about trap games, that to me feels like a game where uh, a confident Saints team could go in and, and have a letdown. Um, you obviously mentioned uh, the Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson. There should be a – if I were in the NFL, if I were running the NFL – I would have a black quarterback championship belt. And the best black quarterback would like get the belt at the end of the year. And every time they went to an opposing stadium, they would carry the belt on their shoulder. Oh, that's good. Like a WWE yeah. star. I feel like that would be a matchup uh, for Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. What do you think about Patriots-Eagles, though? I, Are that's, the Eagles real? That's the game that I was going to go for. I was going to pick the Eagles to win that game. Are they real? Like, um, no, as a Super Bowl potential team, but their offense, I think, is pretty legit. And if they play any kind of defense against a Patriots team that can't really run and it's in Philly, I think that they can win that game, yeah. even though that'll be a pretty big upset. I mean, Carson Carson had that stretch. He had like, what, four or five games throwing under 60% completion percentage. He had a rocky stretch. Um, I know overall he's his ceiling. Mm-hmm. But this feels like a situation where if they don't make the playoffs – like the Carson Wentz hype train, if yeah. there is a hype train, yeah. we got to reassess. I mean, he's got the deal, but like, this is a guy who could fall into Kirk Cousins' polarizing territory right. where you're like, hey, your uh, backup one and not you. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, what have you done? You right. know? That's a big game, I feel like, for him. I, I and, and Philly can put themselves in a really good spot really to good go spot. down the stretch and have potential to win that division. I also think that there's the potential for Dallas to lose to Detroit. Like to lose faith in their coach and go to Detroit thinking, oh, well, we should just blow this team out. And then Detroit has played all close games and they've been right there at the end against a bunch of teams. Packers, Vikings for the most part, Oakland they lost to a halfway decent Oakland team by an inch. Yeah. So uh, that. They lost uh, to New York. I mean, Dallas lost to the Jets. If I'm picking between which one, I think I might take that Dallas loss, but I'm going to go with Philly. To beat New England there. Uh, I assume you're taking the Vikings? Oh, of course. Yeah. Significantly? Yeah, definitely. Okay. This would be a big win. All right. Myron Metcalf, ESPN. You're on Sundays on ESPN Radio, breaking yeah. down the NFL, writing about college basketball. It is Migrant season. At home, folding right clothes. That, that, I'm not that's on the another radio. thing, too. I'm glad that you were able to yeah, make it yeah, in. Fold clothes, you. man. Uh, all right, coming up next, going to talk with Nick Ferguson, a former NFL player, now does Sports Talk Radio in Denver. He played for the Broncos when Gary Kubiak was there. So we'll get some insight from him on what it is like to face a Gary Kubiak defense. And the future of the Broncos quarterback situation is very interesting to me. So we'll talk with him, Brandon Thorne, who covers Denver for The Athletic. And uh, we'll also hear from Alex Boone, who was desperate to talk about what happened last night and sent me text at what you and I texted it must have been almost midnight, right? It was around there, yeah. Last night, yeah, saying, get me on tomorrow. And if Alex wants to come on, he can come on. So we'll finish up the show with him. Um, that's all coming up. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> it's Purple Daily. Welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here and now joining me, one of my favorite people around the game, a former NFL defensive back. He now does Sports Talk Radio at 104.3 The Fan in Denver, covers the Broncos. Nick Ferguson. What's going on, Nick? 
What's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, doing really well. I, I want to start out with you explaining to me who Brandon Allen is. When I heard that Brandon Allen was starting for Denver, and, and I am a journeyman and backup quarterback enthusiast, but Nick, I was like, who? What? And then he, <laughs> he gets a win in his first start. So who is Brandon Allen? Brandon Allen is a quarterback who is familiar with the system, and that's the reason why he's here. Brandon Allen received his tryout in the fourth preseason game when the Broncos faced the then, then Los Angeles Rams. And Coach, Coach Scandarello definitely loves this system. And he wasn't in love with Kevin Hogan. He wasn't in love with Brett Griffin. And there seemed to be some issues with, with Drew Locke that are coming up now. So they needed someone that they felt that could come in and run this offense if something happened to Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen was the guy. Now, I was the only person on my station, 1043 The Fan here in Denver, that was, you know, had, waving the flag for Brandon Allen because everyone was saying, here's a quarterback who's never taken a snap in the NFL and he was a six round quarterback. And I said, wait a minute, go back and watch the film of Brandon Allen at Arkansas. He embodied everything that Scangarello wants to do with this offense. A quarterback that can extend plays with his feet. He was quick to deliver the ball on time and in rhythm. He made quality decisions. And he wasn't going to do anything to hurt your team. Now, he's not Tom Brady. I know Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. Yes. But but, but it took, a, took some time and players around Tom to, for, for Tom to be Tom Terrific as we know him now. But if you needed a bridge player, Brandon Allen – was definitely that guy because the Broncos had, you know, two, they have two great running backs and Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. They have a tight end and no offense that just blew the doors off of everyone in the Cleveland game and really lived up to that number one draft pick, you know, uh, uh, selection. And, and the guy who was throwing him the ball wasn't Joe Flacco. It was Brandon Allen of, of, of all people. So, this guy can play, and if, if, if I am Coach Zimmer and the, and the Minnesota Vikings, I'm not going to take his skill set for granted because this kid can play. It's all about Scangarello putting the game plan in for him like he did against Cleveland where he reduced the play sheet and said, well, I'm going to put things in that accentuate his ability as a quarterback. So, Nick, do Denver Broncos fans now feel like they have a, a much better chance to end the season strong because Joe Flacco isn't playing? I mean, that's with respect to what Flacco did in the past, that he was a very good quarterback. But from what I saw of him this year, uh, it was not the Joe Flacco of five to seven years ago who was launching balls down the field and completing big passes and things like that. It was a very tentative-looking Joe Flacco. So does Brandon Allen give them now a, a better chance to win those close games that they lost earlier in the season? Absolutely. And to give you an example, in the Cleveland game, I think it was the second possession. It was second down, and it was I think it was second and eight. And the pocket started to collapse around Brandon Allen. He regathered himself, set his feet, and then he ran for the first down. The crowd erupted, hmm. right? It erupted because he ran for the first down. And that was something that Flacco would not do for right. some particular reason. I mean, there were running lanes that would have built, was, were available, but he never really took advantage of it. So when you look at what Brandon Allen brings from that skill set alone, yes, there is the belief that he can be the quarterback to kind of close out the, the, the season. But the thing that comes in question 
and, and leaves us guessing here in Denver what the team is going to do with Drew Locke because their plan is to allow Brendan Allen to play against uh, on the road against Minnesota and Buffalo, but then start Drew Locke against the, the Los Angeles Chargers. But for me, it's like, don't do that. If, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If Brendan Allen, even in a loss against Minnesota on Sunday, if he still shows that he is moving the ball efficiently and he's not turning it over, you have to stay with him as a quarterback because John Elway, even with the record being what it is, is two and seven, he still wants to win football games. Right. So tell me, um, Nick, what is the future of the quarterback position in Denver? I mean, if Brandon Allen plays great over the uh, final stretch here, does he become the starter next year? Do they go into free agency and look at potentially Teddy Bridgewater if Drew Brees doesn't retire? Do they try to trade for Cam Newton? I mean, the options seem like they will be a plenty, but also the guy in charge keeps trying to get only quarterbacks over six foot five <laughs> recently. So, so what is going to be the plan? Do you think John Elway is going to learn from his own? Of his mistakes and go a different direction this time how do you think it gets handled well you hope that he learns from his mistakes i mean right now we don't know what's happening with drew lock and a lot of that depends on what the organization thinks and the things that we've heard about drew lock one from coach fangio he still needs to learn how to play quarterback john elway has gone on record saying well they don't want to put him out there because they don't want the ceiling to cave in so if they're showing uh, not a lot of confidence. Andrew Locke, that means in 2020, you, you're either looking for another quarterback in the draft, and there's some great quarterbacks coming out, uh, coming out, and then, or, or, or you're looking at free agency. I mean, you mentioned Cam Newton, whose name is, has come up, uh, and he was mentioned by my former teammate, Shannon Sharp. Uh, also, I mean, Tom Brady has opted out of, uh, his, his contracts last year with the Patriots, so, Everyone's been talking about that. Philip Rivers, he's on expiring contract. But the guy who I've been banging the drum and the table for is Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. He was one of, he was the guy that I, I wanted the Broncos to take when he came out of college. He is a guy that, that is probably going to be the number one QB free agent based on what he was able to do going five and oh with Drew, with Drew Brees nursing that, that, that hand from surgery. So he, for me, He's that guy. He would give you a different element to your to the offense. He, he plays with the same skill set like a Brandon Allen, but he gives you a, a little more, and that's on his anticipatory throw. And mm-hmm. that's what yeah. you have to do this league as a quarterback. And here, what I've been battling with with some of some of my co-hosts is that, well, you know, Teddy is just the benefactor of a Sean Payton offense and all those weapons. I say, well, yes, Sean Payton is a great coach. He scaled back. Uh, the, the the game plan for Teddy Bridgewater, and that's what you do as a head coach. And it's it's not his fault that you know the, the New Orleans Saints have done a great job of putting players in that offense. But Teddy still has to go out and run the offense. And I say, don't forget, guys, Teddy was a heck of a quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings until he hurt his knee. Mm-hmm. So so he is definitely a viable option. I hope the Broncos go that way because if they do, now they can go out in the draft and do what. The Minnesota Vikings have done is build that offensive line around Kirk Cubs and, and Dalvin Cook. So that is what we're hoping here. But I'm not John Elway. I know he's falling in love with quarterbacks with the big arm, but there's more to quarterbacks than just that big arm. It's decision making, ball placement, 
and mobility. And all of those boxes you can check with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, it is funny, Nick, because here a lot of people who didn't love Teddy Bridgewater, which is a, a extreme minority, but the criticism was, well, he was just a game manager and managed them to 11 wins. And then he goes to New Orleans. It's, well, he's got good players around him. Or maybe now that we're, you know, 34 starts into his career and he's 22 and 12, maybe he's just a good quarterback. And, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, right. I mean, I think Denver makes a lot of sense because you want to win in a similar way of managing the game, not turning it over, uh, doing enough on offense to win and then play great defense. And I wanted to ask you about this defense for the Broncos because I think we here are looking at it like if the Vikings don't win this game, this is really bad for them. But it's the sixth best scoring defense. It's the fourth best defense in yards. It's one of the best defenses in the NFL in the red zone. Um, what, what are you, uh, I guess, giving the, the Broncos a chance in terms of can they beat the Vikings or can their defense slow down Kirk Cousins? I mean, are you looking at it like the defense gives them a chance to win almost any game, even though the offense has been poor for the Broncos? Well, the defense definitely uh, gives them an opportunity to win because if your opponent can't score, they can't win. That, that That's the idea. The Broncos, right now, they're ranked second in the league behind the 49ers as far as red zone defense. And in this league, as a quarterback, you make your money by, you know, extending plays on third down and and also, you know, scoring inside the red zone. So the idea is trying to stop Kirk Cousins inside the red zone. But that's that's easier said than done because they have this guy by the name of Davin Cook. Yes, they do. You might have heard of him who now who leads the league with nine hundred and ninety one yards on the ground. And we're talking about two hundred and three attempts. And watching this guy run I mean, he punishes runners, but he has the ability to run away from God. So it's going to be one heck of a matchup because the Broncos have also done a great job at shutting down teams when it comes to certain run plays. So it's going to be something, a dynamic that they have to figure out. But it's going to start with with, with their defense. And Coach Fangio is, is familiar with Minnesota and, and their players because he coached in Chicago. Yep. But the, but but the person who who is not really the offensive coordinator calling the plays, but he's involved enough to know how to attack, you know, schemes like Coach Fangio. And and that's the great thing I love about Coach Kuhl in the scheme. I played against the scheme. I practiced against the scheme. And I coached against the scheme. They, they give you different things to worry about. They attack you on all three levels. They force you to defend vertically, horizontally. Just watching the Cowboys game, I was just blown out of my mind how many ways that they used Dalvin Cook. They used him as a decoy. They used him in a screen game. They gave it was they were toss plays. They were throwing it to, to uh, Kyle Rudolph down the field. So they, it, the idea was they get everyone involved in the offense so you can't key on one particular player. Right. And that's the beauty of what Kuhl, uh is, is running as a coordinator or you know being somewhat of an advisor as a coordinator. So. This is not going to be an easy go-round for, for this defense. They're going to have to make some plays, and it's going to come down to what defense actually stands tall in a pivotal moment, whether it's going to be Minnesota defense or is it going to be the Denver Broncos. Yeah, before I let you go, let me ask a, a follow-up on that with Kubiak, because you joined the Broncos in 2003. Kubiak is your offensive coordinator at that point, and Rick Dennison's the offensive line coach. And those are the, that's the combination here, essentially, with uh, Kubiak as an offensive advisor and Dennison as the offensive line coach. What is the staple of the Kubiak offense that makes it so tough? Like, is there one particular thing that stands out about it from different offenses, whereas a defense, when you 
you practice against it or when you play against it, you say, man, that's what makes them so difficult. Because we've seen the Vikings offense take a huge step forward this year with Kubiak involved. Well, the understanding this defense, I mean, excuse me, the offense and where uh, it actually started from, it's all based on establishing the run. Yeah. And in today's NFL, we, we, we constantly talk about the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback. But you have to have balance in this game. If you don't have balance, your quarterback is not going to be effective or efficient. So that's one thing that he was, he was able to do. And drafting Garrett Bradbury, I mean, a guy who I wanted the Broncos to pick up at the center position, that's your quarterback of your offensive line. Mm-hmm. That guy is amazing, right? And he helps that offense go because even though he's a young player, I mean, he can call out protections. He's athletic. He can pull if you want to. He can cut off backside. I mean, he can get out on front side. There's so many things that you can do, but it starts with that run game. That was the thing that was so successful when Gary Kubiak spent so many years with Mike, Mike Shanahan here in Denver when I was a part of the team. Mm-hmm. It was based off establishing the run, establishing a physical mentality where you just break, force the defense to break their sword and you just kind of take their heart away from them. And when they think they figured out the run, now you go play pass and throw the ball down the field. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. They, they, they give you uh, so many personnel groupings, and you think that you're getting the same play with the same personnel groupings, but they give you something else. Right, right. No, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly yeah. all the things the Vikings have done this year. They've run out three tight ends at times and run play action off of that, and you just see the opposing linebackers scrambling, and that seems to be where it all starts. Uh, Nick? I remember the first time we talked, you were just starting to get into media, so I'm very happy for you that you are succeeding out there in Denver at 104.3 The Fan. You played 10 years in the NFL. Um, so great uh, to get your insight and to talk with you again, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you, man. Anytime. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Okay, welcome back in to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you as always. If you missed any of our conversation with ESPN's Myron Metcalf, you could check that out wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, the little Purple Podcast app, wherever you get it. Just type in Purple Daily and you can listen to many hours of football talk. Now joining us on the show, he used to be known as just our O-line guy, but now he has more jobs. Brandon Thorne writes for the Establish the Run website that's run by Evan Silva. Also does Broncos film breakdowns for The Athletic, does his own podcast called Trench Warfare. Brandon, are you busy? <laughs> yeah, fortunately I am, Matt. It's it's been a great year so far and I'm having a lot of fun with all the stuff I'm I'm doing. It's it's a lot of fun. Well, let's start right out with some of the film stuff from uh, your Broncos analysis. I know early in the season you took a look at Noah Fant, and he's a guy that I'm intrigued with because of the Irv Smith comparison. Irv Smith has been a game-changer for the Vikings. Did uh, Denver make the right pick in take- taking Noah Fant instead of Irv Smith? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. It's, it's you know, the jury's still out, I think, to some degree, um, just because he hasn't been super involved, and then when he has, you know, as of late, you know, he's made a couple of big plays, um, but he's also had some, you know, a couple of big negative plays as well in terms of drops and uh, not being able to really track the ball that well while it's in the air. But it's in terms of if, if like after after the catch, if you get him the ball early and the down and um, early in the play and let him run and make plays in that way, he's he's very good. Obviously, he's an elite level 
athlete in terms of like what the combine revealed. And then also he's just pretty good in open space and, you know, making guys miss and outrunning guys and things like that. And he's, he's definitely a serviceable blocker as well, which is kind of similar to Irv Smith in that way. Um, how they're both kind of well, pretty well rounded guys. Um, so, you know, I think it was a solid pick. Um, you know, I, I think Devin Bush still that, you know, passing up on him and letting Pittsburgh trade up and get him is still, you know, kind of a questionable move at this point because I think middle linebackers, a position that can really, uh, you know, it's something that the Broncos defense really needs, honestly, opposite Todd Davis. Um, Alexander Johnson has been, has been kind of a revelation this year and he's been good. Um, but yeah, so. I think it, overall it's been a, a pretty solid pick, and as of late, you know, it certainly looked like, uh, you know, maybe more than that, but just in, in context of the whole season, I think it's been pretty solid. This Broncos team is kind of fascinating to me, Brandon, because I, I think we spent most of the second half of the week talking about how the Vikings need to take the Broncos seriously because they've been in so many close games that you can't just look at their record and say, ah, yeah, okay, well, they're bad and the Vikings should run them out of the building. But they are starting a quarterback who is making only his second start ever. And usually if you're going up against the Mike Zimmer defense with that little experience, things do not go well for you. So what have you made of Vic Fangio first year with the Broncos that's been kind of all over the place but you know Ryan Harris said on the show the other day they could easily be six and three just with the number of close games that they've played so how seriously should the Vikings be taking the Denver Broncos so yeah just that last part I definitely think they should be taking them very seriously because this defense is is very good they're in the top eight or I think they're sixth in defensive DVOA um, which accounts, you know, strength of schedule and things like that. And mm-hmm. I, you know, that's one of the metrics I like. So, um, they're definitely, you know, they're a top 10 defense, uh, I think by most metrics. Um, so just that in of itself is going to be a challenge for, for the Vikings. Um, this is one of the, the better defenses that they're going to face this season, I think. So defensively, you know, that's why coach Fangio got brought in, you know, with his track record as a defensive coordinator. And I think he's certainly you know, carry that over to this team, especially considering the amount of injuries that they've had to deal with and some of the, the weaknesses just on the roster um, that they've had to deal with. What he's been able to kind of put together here uh, defensively has been very, very impressive, I think. Um, and th- there's a lot that goes into that. There's, you know, we can go position by position, but just that's kind of a general overview of the defense. And then offensively, you know, first-year offensive coordinator, Rich Gangarello from the 49ers, you know, coached under, Kyle Shanahan there for multiple years. Uh, he's had an up and down season, I think, in his, in his first year. Uh, I think as of late, you know, especially last week, what they were able to do with Brandon Allen. I think once they got a quarterback who wasn't an absolute statue back there, like yeah. Joe Flacco, it's allowed them to look a lot better. They're still not going to be a very good offense. Uh, you know, they've scored 24 points twice this year, and that's their high. So. You know, this defense is, while very good, I think they could probably be even get more notoriety if this offense was even above average, which I don't think they are. They're kind of like below average. But having Brandon Allen back there just adds another element that defenses have to account for, and that's a guy who can extend plays. And, you know, if, if protection breaks down, it's not the, – the play isn't over like it was the first, you know, nine weeks of the season. So – uh, but of course he's obviously very inexperienced. He still made some questionable decisions in that Browns game. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, 
kind of a mixed bag there right now at the quarterback position. I, I don't think that the Vikings defense has to be as worried, especially at home and things like that. I think that their defensive line is at a massive advantage, especially against our tackles, uh, the Broncos tackles. I think that that is just, you know, right now you guys have the best edge rushing duo in the NFL, in my opinion. And I think a lot of the numbers backed it up as well. Uh, so against these tackles, I think Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter should be able to have a huge day. That's what I'm expecting. So you, you mentioned that the offense sort of is in, in that same system that we talk about all the time with Kubiak and, and Shanahan, right? Anytime you hear those names, they involve a lot of the same type of concepts. Is there a way that the Broncos can slow down Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter with schematics. I mean, these two guys, as you mentioned, have been dominating all season long. Everson Griffin is playing as well as he has ever played in his NFL career, which is, I guess, a testament to his work ethic to come back after a slow second half of last season and be this good. Um, but anytime you hear that the tackles for the other team are in rough shape, I mean, it usually means that the Vikings are just going to win based on Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin. Is there a way that they can scheme around that to some effect to slow down the Vikings' pass rush? Yeah, I think the Broncos did a pretty nice job of it last week in their win against the Browns going against Miles Garrett and just that defensive line. They did a, a pretty decent job at, at protecting the quarterback, and I think that starts really with a lot of play action. They ran a lot of play action on first down and things like that. Uh, and Brandon Allen was able to kind of develop some comfort early on in the game because of that. And the Broncos have a really good running game as well. Uh, they're, I think, in the top, like maybe 10 or 15 or so in DVOA. I know that their offensive line run blocking is like top 10 for sure. So that's one way that you can obviously develop some success offensively is to have a running game. Uh, that's at least serviceable and actually can get you into some favorable down and distance situations. But if you're in obvious passing downs when you're passing it, play action obviously is a big one just to create that split second hesitation in the defense. And also their use of 12 and 13 personnel, even more so 12 personnel as of late with two tight ends on the field that has helped the offensive line. It's provided the tackle some extra help and things like that. So I think that those are some ways that you can have some success, but I really think you have to be, you have to run some play action at a pretty high rate and you have to be able to run the ball at least, you know, somewhat serviceably so you can, you know, not be in these just too obvious of passing situations, which against this defense on the road, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, so hopefully. You know, from a Broncos perspective, they're able to do some of those things. Well, it really sounds a lot, Brandon, like what we talk about with the Vikings, where they use a bunch of different things like the big personnel to try and protect Kirk Cousins. But in the games in which they have not against Chicago, against Kansas City, against Green Bay, uh, they've come away with losses. And Kirk Cousins is exactly what you described from Joe Flacco, a statue in the pocket. I mean, he's going to stand in one spot unless you tell him to bootleg out and move and against Kansas City specifically because that was a backup quarterback that beat the Vikings there with a good team around him and a defense that played well that day and hasn't for most other days, but that day they did. Um, Can the Denver Broncos create enough pressure on Kirk Cousins? Or maybe I would put it this way. Can the Vikings' offensive line handle the Broncos' defense enough to keep Kirk Cousins clean to get off the throws that, that he's been able to make this year? 
I really think they can because the Broncos interior defensive line isn't on the level of what you're accustomed to seeing as a Vikings fan and just their schedule so far this season. We don't really have anybody like a Chris Jones or a Fletcher Cox or even a Jonathan Allen or, you know, guys like that, Kenny Clark, Grady Jarrett. There's nobody like that on the Broncos interior defensive line. We have some solid players who are good run defenders in you know, Purcell at nose tackle. Shelby Harris, Derek Wolf, these guys, they're not really disruptive guys necessarily. So from that perspective, you know, the weak link of the Vikings offensive line, I think the further inside you go pass protection wise, it sort of you know, gets, gets vulnerable there. I don't really see the Broncos being able to capitalize on it to the extent that it's been capitalized on in the previous games this season. Now they still have Vaughn Miller, who's top five in the league in pressures. He's a guy who's having a, a good year still, not a great year by his standards, but he's still an elite player who could take over a game. So that's the guy I really think that more than anything else, you have to be able to, you know, provide extra help to Brian O'Neill. And even if he switches over to Riley Reese's side, which he does sometimes, he's really the centerpiece that everything can be focused on, in my opinion. And then you really need to just let other guys beat you. Um, I think that that's probably the best way to go about this is to find Von Miller every snap. And I'm sure they'll have some sort of plan built in to place all their, you know, most of their attention onto him. And I think that will allow Kirk Cousins some time to, to find targets downfield. Cause I, like I said, I mean, if, if you don't have great interior pressure against this offensive line, then I think that you could be in trouble. And I don't really see the Broncos having that. Talking with Brandon Thorne. He does the Trench Warfare podcast, also a film anal- analysis for The Athletic in Denver. Um, so give me your uh, viewpoint on the interior of the Vikings offensive line this year. I mean, they've had their ups and downs. They're very good at run blocking. This is sort of similar to how you describe Denver, but the pass blocking has been a major issue in several games, and it seems that Kevin Stefanski has had to go really far out of his way to scheme to try and help inside, especially Pat Elfline has struggled in the pass protection. Garrett Bradbury has improved quite a bit, um, but I think probably some of that is scheming to help him. I mean, how do you view this? I mean, do you view it as this is an interior of the offensive line that is decent enough to go far in the playoffs or that it's going to eventually get exposed? Yeah, so that's... That last part is, uh, I really think, you know, that's the key. And I think that this offensive line as a whole is good enough that you can win with deep in the playoffs. But it's really predicated on the running game being fairly successful. So you're not in a lot of obvious passing downs where defenders can just tee off and, and rush. So, and that's what I put when I, I did an update for established run where I ranked all 32 offensive lines again after the midway point. I had Minnesota right in the middle of the pack. I had them at like 17. And a lot of that was because of what they do as a run blocking group, which I think they've been very good. And I basically said at the end, you know, this is an adequate pass blocking group. And as long as they continue to have a very good running game, they'll be able to avoid putting themselves in those obvious passing downs where they can get exposed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what it's about. Uh, if you, if you aren't able to allow Dalvin Cook to, you know, get his yardage and, you know, run screens and run play, successful play action plays and you're, you know, just in these glaring 
passing downs, you know, third and long, second and long, things like that, then I think that they'll get exposed. And I mean, Pat offline, his ability or inability to anchor right now is, is just, it's bad. I mean, he, he's really struggling to anchor. And as far as keeping the firmness of the pocket on the interior, when guys are able to just go, uh, it's just really not there. Uh, so, and you could say the same to a lesser extent for Bradbury. Both, I think, their inabilities to anchor against guys with really good power rushes is just, it's a problem. Um, but you can avoid that problem by doing all those things that we said. And I think that there's a pretty good chance of them, of them being able to do that considering the scheme and, and just, you know, what they're able to do as a run blocking group. And then obviously having probably the best running back in the NFL and really good receivers and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think, uh, there's, there's a good chance that this offensive line is good enough, but, you know, that I can also see, you know, a case where they can get exposed pretty easily as well. Well, I'm glad that you called him the best running back in the NFL because that leads me perfectly into my last question for you, Brandon. I know that you've been on Delvin Cook as a superstar basically from the very beginning, and then you know his injuries were a problem over the last two years, but now fully healthy, leading the NFL in rushing. Uh, is Delvin, in your mind, the MVP of the NFL? Uh, that's hard for me to, to say, honestly, because of what we know in terms of the impact that quarterbacks have on the game. And you look at a guy like Russell Wilson, I think he's sort of the no-brainer MVP mm-hmm. in my opinion uh, right now just with the season that he's he's had. And then you have to look at guys like Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. Even maybe Christian McCaffrey could be mentioned in there. But I, I know their team isn't as successful, is, isn't as successful so that kind of hurts him. But, uh, yeah, I think Dalvin Cook would probably be in that top five to six range. Uh, and I think that running back wise, he'd probably be number one. And I mean, just what he's doing, he, he really is sort of the engine of the offense aside from the scheme in terms of just a player. He's clearly, you know, the, the heart of the offense, uh, in my opinion, and just what he does, his ability to make guys miss and extend plays and create yards after contact, uh, and just his vision and, and everything. What he does in the run in the pass game, I mean, he's just, He's phenomenal. Um, so hopefully we get him for the rest of the season and into the playoffs and we get to see this, you know, on a, on a bigger and bigger stage as the year goes on because I think he's a really, really special guy. Yeah, we haven't seen too many situations in my mind. Maybe Marshawn Lynch is like this where the running back can truly drive offensive success even when it comes to what you're doing in the passing game. And Russell Wilson has grown to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but I think early in his career that was probably the case where running for five yards a carry and demolishing the other team with Marshawn Lynch had such a a, a big role in Seattle's success. It kind of has that same feeling for the Vikings now. You can follow Brandon Thorne on Twitter at Brandon Thorne, T-H-O-R-N-N-F-L, and make sure you check out his podcast, Trench Warfare. It is great, and you will learn a ton about offensive and defensive line play which if you're listening to the show, then you should go find and listen to, right? I mean, if you're listening to football every day, then you should know more about offensive and defensive line play. So, Brandon, always great to have you on the show, man. We'll do it again soon. All right, Matt. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Yep. Again, follow him on Twitter, at Brandon Thorne NFL. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download brought to you by AutoZone. Listen to Score North with Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, open Score North. 
and you'll hear the soothing sounds of Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd with Rami, and much, much more. Just say, Alexa, open score north. Vikings preparing for the Broncos to come into U.S. Bank Stadium on on Sunday afternoon. Sent out their final injury report of the week. Listed as out, Adam Thielen with a hamstring injury, Josh Klein concussion, Linval Joseph with a knee injury, and Anthony Harris with a groin injury. The only member who's questionable on the roster right now, Andrew Sandejo with a groin injury. Anthony Harris went from limited participant in practice on Wednesday to did not practice the final two days of the week to becoming listed out. In search of a, new, of a car battery that won't let you down, even in the lowest of temperatures, AutoZone has you covered. They have the proven tough Duralast batteries you need to plow through winter. They're tested in the most extreme conditions, so you can count on them to deliver when you need it most. Just visit AutoZone.com to learn more. That's been your Score North download. Now for the final segment of the week of Purple Daily. Okay, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar with you, and usually he's only on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but we had an incident in the NFL last night with Miles Garrett, who has been suspended indefinitely after he swung his helmet, actually no, swung Mason Rudolph's helmet and hit him with his own helmet in the head, and the NFL coming down with quick punishment for him, along with a three-game suspension for Marquise Pouncey, and of course, Alex Boone, we needed you to chime in on this. Alex? As a brawler, what did you think of what happened last night with Miles Garrett? I mean, I think that was completely unacceptable. I think that when you talk about this league celebrating 100 years, for 100 years we haven't had a problem like that, and now all of a sudden we do. And I think when you're looking at it, it's so egregious because, yeah, we've seen people throw down before. We've seen people fight a little bit, but nobody's ever physically taken someone's helmet and swung it as a weapon. And not only that, but made connection with it. So I think that when you're looking at it, it's like, wow. This is one of the cardinal sins that we have always thought of, but nobody has ever been like, dude, it's gone that far. I mean, you have crossed a line that you can never come back from. So tell me what it's like to be in one of those things. I mean, because Mason Rudolph, he he doesn't really deserve to be punished too much or anything, maybe a fine. I don't know if he even got one for trying to yank Miles Garrett's helmet off. He was clearly frustrated. He threw four interceptions. And then after Garrett took his helmet, he went after him. Um, so you're, you're in one of these kerfuffles. And, and what is that like as a player when you have big, giant, jacked men who are starting to get uh, really teed off? It, it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because there's always a calm head. And for me, it should have been the two offensive linemen standing there. And you, when you see something like that happening, you have to immediately take over the situation because things like this can happen. And maybe it's just because people in the past have been so good at trying to break these up so fast that it's never escalated to this. But to me, when somebody's taking your quarterback down and Miles Garrett, I mean, we can talk about this. It looked to me like maybe the hit was a little bit late. Like, it took a long time to bring him down. I get it. Mason's upset. Miles Garrett's upset. He's been trying to get there all night. They were holding the living hell out of him all night. Like, I get it. Both sides are frustrated. But at some point, somebody has to step in and be like, guys, we're getting across the line now. Like, once the helmet was taken off, it should have been like, dude, we're done. We're going to tackle him. We're going to calm him down. We're going to grab the helmet. We got to do what we got to do. Because you saw as soon as he grabbed the helmet, even Cleet Blakeman was like, dude, I don't know if I want to get around this. Like, I don't know what's going on. And as soon as he swore in, Cleet took a step back like, dude, now I'm kind of fearing for my life. And you brought people into this situation that don't need to be involved because you're being silly about something that somebody says you're frustrated about. Dude, you're not the first person to be frustrated in a game, but you are the first person to swing your helmet as a weapon. And that's no-no. 
Yeah, I, I've never seen anything like it. And the game was over. There was eight seconds left. It seemed like it would have been easy to just drop the helmet and walk away. And for Miles Garrett to take that extra step, I mean, he's going to get suspended. I imagine he comes back at the beginning of next season. But now I think that there is a target on him as somebody who is going to be looked at going forward as kind of a loose cannon and should have no leeway whatsoever in his future, which I, I think is hard probably for somebody at that position but also he definitely earned it by doing that by taking this to a level where it should never ever go i agree i agree 100 and i think that that's a big if if they bring him back because you're talking about a league right now that is up in arms right you have the players on one side like he wasn't safe enough and say whatever you want i've played in those thursday night games and i know what it takes to play in them and they're very tough Okay. And we saw what, like six or seven guys just go down in the game. There was guys that weren't even touched that were just falling down. Like, dude, I throw my hamstring. This is player safety. We got players playing on Thursday getting knocked out with concussions. Guys are bleeding out of their ear. And then you have a player take a helmet off and swing it. Like, dude, at some point, the game is physical. I understand. It's barbaric. It's a bunch of gladiators out there doing what they do best and enjoying it. And sometimes people get hurt. But when you go over the line, of taking someone's helmet off and swinging it. You've crossed the line that, like I said, you can't come back from. And for me as a teammate, it's like, man, now you've pitted me in a bad situation, okay? Because I don't agree with that, but you're on my team. So I have to defend you. And it's funny to me because as soon as it happened, you saw everybody on Cleveland was kind of like, we're going to distance ourselves very right. quickly. Yes. Baker was like, unacceptable. Coach, embarrassed. He's embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. This is unacceptable. Everybody's slowly backing up because they know what's going to happen. Right. And, and, the league can't just let him come back like that. Like there has to be you have to really think about do we want to bring this guy back and what is the image gonna be? Right, right. Yeah. I mean I, I think the rest of the year makes a lot of sense and then it would be basically if there's anything like this that ever happens with him again, it is lifetime ban for him, which is something that I mean is really hard to do in the NFL. There's a lot of guys who've come back from a lot of stuff, but Bontes. but right, but getting uh banned, um this this is probably the only thing that could get you to that point. I mean, I I equate it to in baseball Juan Marshall swung a bat and hit a pitcher with it after he had been hit by a pitch. I mean, that's about the only equivalent to something like this. But but I want your opinion on the Marquis Pouncey three-game suspension because I, I think he comes out of this looking like a guy who was just defending his quarterback when things got really crazy. Absolutely. And if you know Marquis or his brother, you know that they love this game and they're very passionate about it. This isn't the first time he's done something like this. You know, There are offensive linemen in this league that are very passionate about their quarterbacks, not only that, but their own players. I mean, you're so with this guy all day, and you care for him, and you're taking all the shots for him, right? And not only that, but he's a young player, and he's kind of filling a role of a superstar, so there's a lot of pressure on him as it is. You're instantly like, dude, I got your back. Whether you like the kid or not, you're like, hey, man, I feel for you, and I'm going to be here for you. So when you see somebody do something that egregious, I absolutely, absolutely don't blame him for what he did. I think it's wrong that they gave him three games. You and I talked before, and I said, listen, if I were the league, I'd say, hey, we're going to count this as an unnecessary roughness penalty. We're going to fine you $27,000. Get the hell out of here and don't do it again. You can't really come down on a player. It's like, hey, listen, I know your player just got whacked by his own helmet, but you have to stand back and do nothing. Like, that's hard for an emotional team. 
Right, right. And, you know, I think that what's going to happen here, I wouldn't be surprised if Marquise Pouncey uh, decides to challenge the suspension and they reduce it to one game. I mean, I think that's sure. what they should do. Uh, they went a little over the top with that, and I, I think if they talk to other players in the league that they would tell them, look, that that's kind of what you have to do in that situation. I mean, maybe kicking him is the one thing I would say is worth a one-game suspension, um, but to not rip his own helmet off and start throwing it at, at Miles Garrett, I think showed at least some restraint there for Marquise Pouncey. Uh, now, I wanted to ask you what you thought of Baker's comments right after because I thought that was actually the most mature we have seen Baker Mayfield look, and he played really well in the game. He got them in position to miss a few field goals that they should have made, and I thought it was an important game for him to play well just because of how bad things have been going, and he gets interviewed, and I think that him being blunt in that situation was actually good and showed maturity. Absolutely. I think that that's what you wanted him to say. And as a, as a city, I think Cleveland was like, man, we're going to have to rally around whatever Baker says. Cause I think it could have went either way, right? Like at the time, there's a lot of emotions going and people start poking at you about your team. And yeah, dude, something crazy just happened, but you haven't really digested it. So for him to sit down and go, listen, that's unacceptable. However, we shake this tree out. That was completely unacceptable. That's what we've been looking for from Baker. Like, Baker, we need you to call it like it is, but we need you to do it in a tough manner. And that was a tough way to do it. But it was the right move because I'm telling you, and maybe it's, maybe it's just me, but I know I've talked to a few guys that were like, dude, I, we all played a long time. Nobody ever thought of taking a helmet off and swinging it at another player. Like, right. that was just not condoned. It would not have worked for your own team because your teammates are like, dude, what are you doing? You're putting us in a bad situation. You think of, I think of all these coaches. As soon as I saw him do that, I go, now I know why all these coaches were like, we don't allow fighting in our own practice because it escalates to that in a game. Right. When, when coaches would sit there and they'd be like, there is no fighting. I think of the Mike Zimmers and the Jim Harbaugh and all these tough coaches that were like, there is absolutely no fighting in practice. And if there was, you got kicked out, you got fined. Let me tell you right now, it was the most expensive punch you ever threw. And, and they all used to say it. And it was true. But you know what? It never went to that in a game because there were rules. And you knew the rules. Listen, there's never to be a fight. I can't fight with my own team. I can't fight with the other team because then it hurts my team. Right. These are all things that are trickling down now that you're like, man, this is – like it all makes sense. I get now why these coaches are like, we don't want to fight each other. We don't want to fight them. We just want to play ball because – Man, did that look really ugly, too. Okay, Alex, maybe the toughest question I've ever asked you. Why does this always happen to Cleveland? You're from Cleveland. Explain this to me. I don't know. I had a lot of friends call me like, dude, is this real life? And I was like, dude, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'll call you back. I mean, it's just <laughs> you want to talk about a team that was crowned almost the Super Bowl champs and the road that – I mean, I know that they won last night, but it feels like a real loss. I mean, any way you shake it, they feels like they – Yesterday. They're going to lose their best player for the rest of this year. God knows how much longer. But you talk about the morale of a team, and now people look at your team as people are associating your team with that action. Whether you were involved or not, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, he's part of that Cleveland team, you know, those guys. And it's like, oh, dude, we're not like that here, okay? Things got out of control. And for me, it kind of kills the momentum of the team. So I'm really hoping Baker takes over. Yeah, I mean, the the fact that they got the win and they're not completely out of it, just looking at their schedule going forward, there's a lot of games that they could still win and make this interesting down the stretch, but that's going to be really darn difficult without Miles Garrett. And, and, and you look at what he's been able to do on defense, and one of the top guys in the league in sacks and pressures and getting to the quarterback, 
and, and, and not only like his effect on the field, but off the field. And, you know, you guys talk about what a great guy he is. You're going to lose that in your locker room now. You're not going to have that anymore. And, you know, what is the media going to do to your team now? I mean, this is, it's one of those things that's hard to overcome because it comes from all angles. Right. Because and you're like, man, I can't stop the flood, right? You're, you're, everyone's like, listen, we're going to put all these fires out together. Right. But then all of a sudden you get swarmed by bees. And you're like, dude, you, there, there was no chance we were going to come out of this alive. It just didn't have a chance. Well, you and I talked about there are certain topics that transcend sports that end up on Dateline or whatever, 60 minutes that they're talking about sports for. And I think this is one of them. I mean, the, the NFL... This isn't just making the Cleveland Browns look bad. This is making the NFL look bad because it yeah. already has this major issue with dealing with the amount of violence that goes on. And you mentioned last night, the dude bleeding out of his ear is pretty messed up, honestly. And yeah. and to have them playing on Thursday nights and to have concussion issues that we've talked about for a very long time, and then you tack this on, I don't know how the Cleveland Browns all of a sudden can just say, okay, moving on with our season without Miles, no big deal. I think that there is going to be a lot of attention for this as we go forward. Absolutely. It's another wake-up call. I mean, you think about it, you're talking about player safety, and, you know, I think about Ryan Shazier, and that was a huge wake-up call for people. And now all of a sudden people are going to have another wake-up call. It's going to be like, dude, player safety, are they really protecting these players as much as they say they are? And right. we're going to find out because if they let – listen, if they give Miles Garrett a lesser sentence than they did Vontez Perfect, all hell is going to raise. And I don't care who anybody is. They're going to be like, dude, Miles Garrett did something way worse than Vontez Perfect. He physically went out of his way to commit that act. And now they're saying they're coming after him like criminally. Like his agent's like, yeah, we're, we're thinking about going to the police. Like, <laughs> dude, don't even worry about the suspension. Worry about this guy trying to come at you in another angle. Like this is taking legs and grown. And you're right. Player safety before was kind of like, mom, people were very quiet about, oh, yeah, yeah, we care, we care. Now you're going to be forced to care. Yep. Everyone's going to want to know, what are you going to do about this? This is a precedent, right? Something has happened for the first time. Whether it happened in year 100 or year 1000, it's happened. Now, how do you react from that going forward? People are going to know. Like, if you never let him back, people will never take their helmet off again. Yeah. Never will yeah. a helmet ever come off the field again. Because people will know. We're not playing around. Yeah, this is a yeah, yeah. serious issue, and we look like a bunch of barbarians and a bunch of morons right now when you're swinging helmets around and people are kicking each other. You're right. At the end of the day, I agree with what Marcus did, but it looks bad for everybody. And the whole group now, people are like, oh, look at these guys. They just want to fight each other, and it looks terrible. And right. they're right. Yeah, and it's sort of... You know, uh, being around NFL players all the time and, and you playing in the NFL, you know how many great people play in the game. And yet there will always be people who look at NFL players like thugs. And when you do something like this, it sort of perpetuates that, unfortunately, and gives those people more of an argument that they don't deserve to have. But um, they're, you know, now on like solid ground saying it because, look, a guy just attacked another guy with a weapon and hit him in the head and could have killed him. So it's right. uh, really unfortunate for everyone that that. Uh, Miles Garrett did that, and we'll see where the suspension goes. Well, that's it for us this week. Alex, great stuff this week, man. Your usual Tuesday and Thursday. I appreciate the time here to break this down. I figured when there's a when there's a melee, who else can we go to? I can't ask Judd. Dude, I'm in. I'm always in for the melee. <laughs> and you know what? I kind of like this Friday time. We might have to add on a little Friday, too. You know what? I, I don't dislike it. I don't dislike it at all. All right. Sounds good. Alex, thanks uh, for your time, buddy. Uh, we're wrapping up here. Going to hand off the ball now to Mackie and Judd with Rami. If you missed any of this week, make sure you go back and check out the podcast feed at scorenorth.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We had a lot of fun leading up to Vikings and Broncos. We will talk to you right after that game when Judd and I break it down. So we'll catch you then here on Purple Daily.
This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.